When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Monday, December 14th. You guys hearing this likely on Tuesday, December 15th. But whenever you are listening, welcome. We're happy to have you here. And we are going to talk about, as the name suggests, the Chicago Cubs. And Brendan, we we don't have anything newsworthy necessarily to jump into like we have the the past few weeks. Uh, But as my great-grandmother used to say, in the case of this Cubs offseason so far— no news is good news because the news that we had been getting and starting these podcasts with hasn't really been that fun for the last uh, month or two. So I'm I'm content this week. We've been left alone by the Chicago Cubs for a week. Well, we need at least like a month break. I mean, you have Schwarber leaving, Theo, Len Casper. It would be cruel for them to announce any type of deal like a Chris Bryant trade. It's just not it's not good for our psyche. Just give us a little bit more time. Or just don't trade Chris Bryant or just, just don't, don't do, do it like I'm that. fine with yeah. that I'm fine with that too <laughs> right. yeah I mean that one works as well. either way yeah but yeah. we do have uh we will figure out something to talk about and we did hear more from the Cubs new president uh Jed Hoyer talked a little bit about where the offseason is going we've seen a little bit of the free agent market play out uh it's it's going very slow and and we're reading those tweets from agents and players and reps and stuff like that every day that they expect it could be January, February again before some of these big guys sign. But we have a little bit of movement. It kind of informs a little bit of the direction things are going to go, especially as it relates to the Chicago Cubs. So we will talk a little bit about that and everything in between. But Brendan, I I want to start with some of the things that Jed Hoyer has been speaking about uh, in the last week or so, um, and I think he spoke to NBC Chicago and just talked uh, a little bit about where the Cubs are, talked about the Rule 5 draft and, and just some of these other things, uh, but the, the, the one thing that really jumped out to me, and I know we always clarify, right, and I think you guys know this, uh, especially after years of Theo and, and breaking down his press conferences and stuff like that. 
what they say in these interviews and press conferences and things like that are not always the absolute truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Sometimes they're a little bit of the truth. Sometimes it's none of the truth. But it's what we have to go on, especially in an offseason that seems to be on schedule to go at a pretty slow pace. Uh, But what stood out to me from his comments the other day uh, were related to the outfield situation. He, he did, a, I think, a Zoom call maybe with some of the reporters, and Mark Gonzalez from the Sun-Times pointed out that one of his takeaways was that the Cubs need outfielders. They only have two on the 40-man roster right now, Ian Happ and Jason Hayward. Uh, they are comfortable with Happ in center field and at the leadoff spot, but they could move him to left field or out of the leadoff spot if a move or two improves the team. That was what jumped out at me. Uh, and why it jumped out at me is because that's not really what I was expecting. I I think that, you know, there's varying degrees of what people expect out of this offseason and what they expect the Cubs to do and how they're going to do it and what the motivation would be for them doing it. But, and, and, and again, with the caveat that this could just be a throwaway comment and have absolutely no meaning based in reality, but it was interesting to me that he even suggested they could move Hap to left field if a move or two improved the team, implying that the team added via free agency or trade someone who is better in center field than Ian Happ and and moving him to a different position for most of his playing time. That stood out to me because not that I expect the Cubs to do literally nothing this offseason, but I I don't know about you, Brendan, or about all of you listening, but I it just sort of caught me a little off guard. It's like, oh, are we looking at center fielders who are good enough to move Ian Happ to a completely different position? Because that was not not really the impression I was getting. Did did that stand out to you or, or am I alone on this one? And I think it does suggest that while the Cubs will be looking forward in the future and have their moves in mind with a little bit more future focus, they're still competitive. They're still capable of winning this division. And as we said in the past few episodes, they're the number one team in the Central. There's there's no one else, and they're actively getting worse. The Reds are actively getting worse, as are the Cardinals and Milwaukee's just going down the tube at this point. So you have to at least be a little bit encouraged that the Cubs are looking or considering or at least talking publicly about improving that outfield situation. Um, absent of of Schwarber now in this outfield. And I like it too. I think Hap, he's made improvements in center field. I like what he's done. I mean, obviously he has a quicker first jump than he had previously a few years ago. But I, I tend to agree with the notion that he's probably a better left fielder, corner outfielder, predominantly left fielder. And if the Cubs can improve in center field, and there's viable options, I think, out there right now in the market, it's good to hear. It's good to at least be excited or encouraged about the possibility of that happening. Yeah, and I think if you can find that guy who you prefer in center field, may improves the defense in center field a little bit, I think you feel a lot better about the way the defense lines up with Happ and left, whoever this mystery person is in center field, and then obviously Jason Hayward in right field. But uh, kind of on that note, sort of along the same lines, uh, they he, he did mention too— Nico possibly getting a look yeah. in center field. Um, how do we feel about that? My my initial instinct is like if you went back in the tapes of of this podcast, I might have said the exact same thing about Ian Happ at some <laughs> point. Um, but I I feel about Nico that I would probably prefer they leave him at second base and leave him alone. I think my focus with Nico, and by my, I mean some guy sitting on the couch having nothing to do with his player development, but like I would I would have the, the focus on his hitting, his offense, and, and making that step at the major league level uh, and, and translating some of the stuff that he's good at and, and the higher contact rate and turning that into the results that you wanted to see that you didn't really see in 2020. I, I think, especially as a second baseman, a backup shortstop, he's good there. I I just would leave this alone um, personally. Uh, but uh, how do you how do you feel about that? We have very little to go off of 
numbers-wise for, for Nico. But visually, what stood out to me last year in the COVID shortened season was Nico is a viable defender across the board, like even third base, shortstop, and second base. And I, as I've seen others as well talk about, that arm strength that we saw from Nico was pretty impressive last year. Um, how that plays out with a longer arm action in center field or in the outfield, I, I don't know. But I think if we're talking about Ian Happ and Nico Horner transitioning into you know an outfielder full time, like Corey, I, th- I think Nico now Happ does have a head start on Nico for developing into an outfielder. But I I would actually bet in the long run, you know, five, six, seven years from now, Nico I think Nico could be a better defender than than Ian Happ, and that just speaks volumes to. Nico's athleticism than it does, uh, you know, talking down on Ian Happ because I think he's a you know an average, slightly below average outfielder as well. My preference, I got to be honest, like I, I I don't really care where Nico plays. Like as a fan, I love watching infielders, and I think Nico is you know an above average infielder, and I think second base right now suits suits him well. But I don't know what the Cubs' plans are for second base right now. They have. David Bodie, uh, Kipnis is, you know, gone, presumably. And so it's right now, it's David Bodie and Nico Horner at second base. Now, do they go out there and sign someone to fill second base, or do they give Bodie more of an opportunity? It, it remains to be seen. But as of now, I don't see Nico getting even borderline the majority of their reps in center field unless a big move happens, like signing a, a second baseman that has more potential than a combo of, of David Bodie and Nico Horner, or signing or trading for a center fielder, which I think probably would have to come through a trade for a center fielder. Um, I, I just, I don't see Nico getting a ton of reps in center field if second base remains, from a personnel standpoint, status quo. I think a move has to be made to really force that uh, force that hand for David Ross. Yeah. And I mean, obviously I, you know, I trust the the team and the development infrastructure to do what they think is best. I don't think they would do something if they thought it was going to be detrimental to Nico's development or his process as a hitter. But I, I just think like he's good at second base. You've got a nice thing there. I, I would just let him focus on making. I, I do have a counterpoint to that though. I do have a counterpoint to okay. that. It's Nico's developmental timeline and the entire process has been as abnormal as abnormal can sure. get for a player, right? He broke his hand. I'm losing track of time now, but I want to say it was 2019. Lost most of his time um, developing, and then he gets called up at the end of the year because Javi goes down. He's had like no time developing, relatively speaking, to the rest of his peers at his age. So if the Cubs can get him in more positions, like left field, right field, center field, probably center field, then it gives him more of an opportunity to get more at-bats. So if we want to keep Nico's bat on the roster, and we want to do so, mindful of his development, then getting more reps at center field, I'm fine with it. I, I, again, I don't really have a, a strong opinion either way, other than I like watching Nico play infield. But if it means he gets more at-bats, and it's good for the Cubs, and good for his development, then absolutely, let's do it. Let's give him more reps and see what happens. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, like there's not a a clear black and white answer here, I don't think. But I mean, there's even a debate as to, you know, whether he needs to start the season at like triple A to get more at bats and to come along as a hitter. So well, we're we're too we're too early in the process for that. Yeah, but but just for me, I, I just think that especially when we're talking about center field, you know, we're not just talking about sticking him in the corners and seeing how it goes. I mean, center field is a tough position to play. It's a tough position to learn. And not that I don't think Nico can do it. But I just I think him progressing as a hitter is more important than anything else. And it's not like he's yeah. a bad second baseman. So to me, I just, I, 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 for years, you guys know this, especially with Ian Happ and obviously Ben Zobrist, I love when the Cubs try to make these guys more versatile, right? It obviously helps. We've seen, especially when Joe Madden was the manager, the it gives the manager the ability to really tinker with those lineups, change things on a daily basis to fit a matchup, to fit guys that need rest and things like that. And it just makes the process a lot easier. Um, so I love versatility in general. I think just with Nico in particular, I 
my focus is on making those strides at the plate, making those adjustments and becoming uh, the hitter that you want him to be and not how many positions can he play for us on defense. That's just my immediate concern. But um, again, like this is also one of those things that is likely not something that's like some big pressing issue. It's just something that we can debate a little bit when there's literally nothing else going on in the off season. You know what I mean? Um, but it, yeah, like you said, Brendan, that's one of those things that is going to kind of be determined once we see what this roster looks like, once we know, you know, even like, you know, especially like in light of the the recent news, you know, the vaccine for the coronavirus is, is hitting cities across the United States. It's starting to be administered, which is great news. But we still have to see how, like, when is the baseball season going to start? Are they going to have fans? Like all these things. So a lot of this is is very fluid. And then, of course, that trickles down into what does spending look like? What does the roster look like? What does the minor league season look like in, in terms of all those things? So we'll see what happens. But I just wanted to touch on that because we were talking about that center field position. And in that same call with Jed Hoyer, he did mention Nico Horner potentially getting some looks there, which is not the first time we've heard that. Um, we've heard that before with regard to Nico. So just something to consider. Uh, moving on, more from Jed, and I think we'll we'll probably end up spending a, a bit more time in the in this portion of the discussion because I think this is this is a little more interesting. But Jed Hoyer was talking about the importance of rotation depth. Uh, mainly, he was highlighting. Obviously, we've all talked and noticed that the 2020 season was quite irregular. And especially for pitchers, that meant that their ramp up period was very weird, given that they got ready for a regular spring training in February and March, then shut down, then had to get back to full strength for a 60 game schedule and playoffs. And a lot of these teams were playing double headers twice a week and all these different things. Uh, So a lot of these guys had weird schedules. They did not log as many innings as they normally would, so their arms are in different places. Uh, And Jed talked about the need to kind of plan beyond that traditional five-man rotation and just being able to assume you're going to be able to throw those five guys out there. They're all going to throw 180 to 200 innings, 30-plus starts with no problem is not as safe of an assumption as it might be in another year, just because you're going to have to monitor where these guys are physically and health-wise and and things like that. So he was kind of talking about that. Now, before we get into some of the further logistics of of this conversation, I do want to note uh, that there were were several mentions here. I think Patrick Mooney from The Athletic mentioned this, uh, that they are in contact with John Lester and a reunion is of interest to all parties involved. So that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, but I, it's the stuff we like to hear, Brendan, um, because, <laughs> not I, bad you know, news. look, not even getting into what I would project from John in 2021 or how that would fit into the plans, I need to be able to go to Wrigley Field and give John Lester a standing ovation. And it it obviously <laughs> is possible if he's on another team, but it's just not the same. I, I, I need John Lester coming off the mound at Wrigley whenever that final time is, and I need to be there with 40,000 of you wonderful Cub fans giving him a standing ovation. That is what I need in my life, so let's make that happen. But I just want to note that they keep talking about how their interest is there. I I think, uh, you know, some of the Cubs beat reporters even went further to clarify that, you know, John knows the Cubs money situation, that perhaps they might have to move some things and address some other higher priority issues first, and then maybe they can talk about a reunion like that. Um, But I just had to get that out there. I know you guys are all, uh, I know you guys all read that, and I assume people thought of me, which I appreciate. Um, So there you go. Those are my opinions on that. Anyway, um, let's talk about the rotation, Brendan. I know know you have a lot of thoughts about this. um, I do. But it, it, it sort of seems, and just based on the way a lot of this discussion has gone, that 
the if there are like we talked about earlier with potentially the outfield and and kind of reading into Jed's thoughts that maybe they would look for an outfielder that would improve things so much to um move Hap to left field the the rotation is not going to receive such high priority it it just doesn't seem to be the case perhaps they add some depth and things like that but you know they are not going to be in the market for someone like Trevor Bauer. If Stroman was a free agent, I don't think they would have been in that market either, right? So if they're going to make additions to the pitching staff, it's probably going to be on that fringe level, the depth level, and lower priced guys with maybe some higher upside taking a flyer on reclamation projects like we've seen in the past and relying on some of the younger guys that they have in the system to get opportunities, guys like Tyson Miller, Justin Steele, Corey Abbott, etc., right? And we obviously know uh, we've seen Adbert Alzali and Alec Mills get those opportunities, so you would expect them to be in the mix. But what what is your your read on some of these comments as it relates to the rotation? What is your maybe best path forward, uh, kind of working within the parameters that we seem to have been given? And what would you like to see uh, maybe from some of these young guys or just from the Cubs in general as they're piecing together this starting rotation that obviously is carried heavily by two you know, basically annual Cy Young candidates in Yu Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. My, my initial opinion is that there needs to be a lot of depth, a lot of potential options. And I like, just from a fan's perspective, getting the opportunity to watch so many potential pitchers at the same time is unsettling, right? Like you want more stability, which call it what you want, but at least the Cubs have had a projectable rotation over the last, what is it, five seasons now? So this will be a little bit new. And even though they don't have a lockdown three through five guy right now, you can see the possibilities that are out there that can give you some hope by mid-season even that you have a stable rotation. So Braylon Marquez, for example, we don't know where he's going to start his 2020 season, but presumably back in the minors. But you don't know where he'll be by June or July or how that sinker will develop, which is what he and Craig Breslow and that pitching development team is working on. But Alzolai is an obvious candidate. No-hitter Alc Mills, of course, is going to be an obvious candidate and likely, if not in the rotation at the start, but in a swing role in some capacity, kind of that Mike Montgomery-esque role. So you know, at least from the onset, you have four guys who can be slated in, two of whom are stable, highly projectable pitchers. The rest of the options, there, there's plenty, I think. You can look at you know, Corey Abbott, for example. You can look at even going a little bit further down, Colin Ray, who they did pick up and tender a contract in arbitration. But the free Asian market, too, has a lot of interesting, potentially uh, buy-low, high-reward guys. So of the bunch, there's so many names out there. Most of them do have an issue previously, albeit you know age or recent injuries. But just to name a few who kind of caught my eye, number one is uh, Jose Urena for the Marlins. And for, for some reason, I always think of like, like Pat Hughes's voice is in my mind when I say Jose Urania. I don't know why I thought of that, but I did. But also, guys, are your on thoughts the same not list, narrated by Pat Hughes? On I a wish daily they basis? were. I wish they were. I wish I could just substitute my voice for yeah. uh, Pat Hughes inside my mind. But other other names as well, you know, super super bilo candidates that I'm not going to say. Hey, let's do it. But you know, Mike Foltynewicz, for example, who was a Cyan candidate about two three years ago, has had incredible issues, uh, injuries. Velo was down about four miles per hour last year, but he's an option. But I mean, Matt Moore is someone who kind of catches my attention. And another guy, Martin Perez for the Red Sox, is another guy who catches my attention. And maybe we'll get into this podcast, but the reason that Perez, for example, catches my attention, one, he's 30 years old, and two, he has a pitching repertoire that actually mimics what the Cubs seem to be shifting towards. And something that's not 
traditional in modern baseball pitching. So Perez throws a sinker once every four pitches. That's notable because he throws most of his sinkers down in the zone. Recently, the Cubs have made a conscious effort by Tommy Hadovy, by Craig Breslow with Braylon Marquez, to shift their starting pitchers from a four-seam usage to a two-seamer usage and throwing those two-seamers on top of the zone. So that has worked, by the way. I mean, we've talked about this, I think, over the past year and a half now, but Jose Quintana, Kyle Hendricks are two guys who saw immediate improvements after throwing up in the zone with their two-seamer sinker. And Albert Alzali also developed a sinker, and he saw the success that came with it. So I'm looking at Martin Perez not because of his ERA last year, which was not good, or his FIP, but I'm looking at him because he has a repertoire that suggests, with some tweaking, the Cubs can get more out of him, and he already has the the experience and the innings threshold to make it through a major league season. I like that. Matt Moore, someone who I've always been interested in, same thing. Maybe you tweak a few things. He's a veteran, 32, almost shut down the Cubs in, what was that, game four of the NLC, uh, NLDS in 2016. Yep. I, I, I like the stuff. And then you want to go even further down, again, I'm not advocating for it, but you can see scenarios where it might make sense. Trevor Williams, former Pirates guy, same issue. He throws mostly fastballs. Maybe the Cubs can get out, something out of well, him. Well, the benefit, you Alex, not to interrupt you, but the benefit of signing Trevor Williams is that then the Cubs can't get shut out <laughs> by Trevor so. Williams when he comes yeah. in with a six and a half ERA. Well, maybe that's, that's my bias. The, my that's contract. the galaxy yeah. brain stuff, Brendan. <laughs> yeah. You can't hit him, just sign him. Exactly right. But in addition to, uh, to, to Williams, you have... You know, Garrett Richards out there. You have Rick Porcello out there. You have Jake Odorizzi out there. You want to take a flyer on Jimmy Nelson, who had who at at the time before his injury has some of the best stuff in the NL Central. He's out there. Uh, your boy John Lester still talking with the Cubs, as you said. There are possibilities that you can bring in to supplement your current young pitching staff. And just to give you more of a safety net, let's say Alzali needs more development. Let's say Braylon Marquez, he needs more time in the minors. Let's say Alec Mills is is getting hurt deeper in the season. This is a this is a scenario where we can bring in a guy three to five million dollars on a reclamation esque deal. If he doesn't work out, doesn't work out. But these are potential areas the Cubs can improve in at a cost effective rate while still giving their young guys' opportunities, such as Azulay and Marquez and Corey Abbott and Justin Steele and all those guys we've talked about and heard about for so many years now. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates. You will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This offer is valid through December 31st, and terms and conditions do apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online 
today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I am fine with this, Um, you know, especially just because I think obviously the bulk of the issues with the Cubs over the last few years have been on the offensive side. Not to say that the pitching has always been perfect, um, but when it push comes to shove and the Cubs get eliminated or they miss the playoffs, we're all usually looking at the offense and we're all talking about basically the same issues. So that's what I would like to see addressed, and that's what I went into this offseason hoping would be addressed. As far as the pitching, again, with everything else, like I, I wish that they were operating at a much higher budget and could add a really significant arm to this rotation I mean, and have that goes a really said. strong top three, and then you're you're kind of filling in those back two spots with this. But playing within the the world that we're living in, I I don't have a problem with this. You know, obviously you need to see Alzali incorporate the changes that he brought successfully at the end of the 2020 season, you need to see him do that for a longer period of time. You need to see more hitters have the opportunity to adjust to those changes and and see how everything responds, right? But obviously, the changes that he made, the additions he made to his repertoire, the work that he did with Hadavi and Breslow, etc., paid off. It looked good, and it's something that you can look forward to in 2021. Alec Mills delivered a lot of really good starts for you, obviously, through a no-hitter, but, you know, delivered you a lot of really good starts, kept you in the game more often than not, and I think is obviously a good guy to have around. And I think I would like to see at least some of these guys. It doesn't mean I want a whole rotation filled of guys with no experience and and just hoping something sticks, but sometimes you you work with these guys, you you let the pitching infrastructure do its thing, try to identify how to maximize these guys' talents and their spin rates and things like that. And ultimately, you got to see it against big league hitters to really know what you have there, right? Like we can look at it at the South Bend alternate site all we want and hear that this guy was getting rave reviews or he was striking out some of the hitters there, et cetera. But eventually you reach a point where you got to see it at the major league level and you have to give these guys a chance to actually put it all together and and do what they're setting out to do. So I I don't know which of this bunch that is or or who is the most likely to burst through there and, and really make a name for themselves. But I think this route is fine with me especially like I said given that you're you're pretty confident in what you're going to get from Darvish and Hendricks and you don't need Darvish to necessarily literally be in all of our opinion uh the best pitcher in the National League to make that work like you just know those two guys are going to be operating near the top of the league maybe they're not in the top three of the Cy Young but you know they're going to be in the conversation. They're going to be very, very good for you. And so I think that gives you a little more room with what happens in the spots behind them. And especially as we were talking about the, you know, what kind of jump started this conversation with Hoyer talking about needing more depth and, and needing to maybe be prepared to be a little more flexible with where some of these pitchers are at, just given how the last year or so has played out. I I would look forward to some of these guys getting an opportunity. Um, I wouldn't be expecting the world of them, but I think we we have talked a lot about liking what Tommy Hadovy and, and Craig Breslow and this pitching infrastructure for the Chicago Cubs has been doing from starters to relievers and, and, and just all of the work that we're able to see how it's been paying off. And I trust them to continue doing that. It's it's not always going to work. And some of these spot starts or opportunities may go really poorly. It happens, right? But I think just given what we're looking at with this team, what needs to be improved, the budget situation, the unknowns that still remain to be answered with everything in the baseball world and the world at large, I have no problem leaning on in-house options and and bringing in some guys 
at a lower cost and seeing what you can get out of them. Um, and, you yeah. know, it's it's also one of those things where if you try those things and they don't work and you find yourself in a competitive spot in a really bad division by the trade deadline, you can still adjust. And, and you know, perhaps you're not in a position where you need to go out and acquire the best pitcher available at the deadline, but perhaps just more depth. You can do that, you know. So I, I think you obviously would be setting yourself up for a scenario where you are relying on you, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks to be those guys, and anything that would change that would be a problem. Of course, it would. But that's the that's the situation the Cubs are going to be in, really, no matter what. If this is how they're operating, right? They're they're going to need the stars to be the stars. It's sort of similar to how we talked about this team in the past. So if stuff goes south at the top of the rotation, it's probably going to go south no matter what. Um, so I, I'm fine with this. Uh, you know, as we always say, uh, you know, I, I wish that they were spending big money and we could just roll out some powerhouse rotation, but that's not where we're at. But I, I think some of these names are interesting, and more than anything, I just trust Hadavi and Breslow to make something work not maybe not everything but I, I think they'll they'll find something that they like and something that they're interested in and I think we'll get results somewhere mm. in this rotation well I think th- on, on the surface what I'm keeping in my mind is if the Cubs and I would say when the Cubs just given Hoyer's comments about you know the market for for pitching when they do sign someone even if it's one person or, or two or two pitchers on the surface, I'm not going to be looking at, you know, ERA, FIP, strikeout rate, whiff rate, as I used to in years past, as recent as, you know, two years ago. I'm not even going to be looking necessarily at spin rate either. I think the way baseball is developing, there is so many more ways to evaluate these guys. And spin rate is, is a big one in the equation, but it's not the end-all be-all. These teams, and especially the Cubs now, they have the ability to project what a certain player could produce in your system with a few tweaks. So if the Cubs end up signing someone like Martin Perez, like on the surface, it looks like a terrible move. A guy who's had struggles for the last two years, uh, you know, average to slightly above average ERA does not get that many strikeouts, does not get that many whiffs. So on the surface, that would look terrible. But having an open mind that they're going after guys who they think they can mold into something completely different is, in my brain, something that will stick this this offseason. And I do have an issue if they don't go out in free agency and get like one or two or three guys for three to six million, I do have an issue with that. I I think it's a little very risky to go into the rotation, to go into the season this year with the rotation of Alec Mills as your number three guy and Al Zolite as your number five guy. And then hoping that, you know, at some point, someone like a Corey Abbott or Colin Ray or Braylon Marquez can fit into that fifth spot. I think you have to go out and solidify the potential that one or two or three guys can stick into that five spot in the rotation. That's the only that's the only concern I have is that they currently don't have enough pieces where they can mitigate some of the uh, some of the poor performances that we'll you know we'll likely right. see at some point in the season. So that's that's my main issue. They have to, in my mind, go out and get people outside their organization. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what they're plan is, but I I think that that was implied by what Jed was saying. I mean, he was which was that a surprise to you, Corey? The importance of rotation depth and uh, teams yeah. planning beyond the the five man and stuff like that. So I I think we all would assume that these are not going to be significant additions and are, are you know mostly just going to be depth pieces, uh, but. The, the implication, at least from Hoyer, was that there are going to be additions. I, it didn't come across as though he was saying, we need to yeah. have rotation depth and we're going to use only in-house options to to get them. So I, I think we'll be... Doesn't that get you a little bit of excitement, though? And it's just because we've heard most of the tone around subtractions, right? So when I hear Jed saying, 
that they may go out and add one or two pitchers, right? Or look and look to bolster that depth. That that had me pumped up. I mean, that signals, hey, we are going to maybe not open up the bank completely or even go above the current payroll, but they're going to go out and sign guys outside their current group, which we barely seen in the last few years. That has to be a little bit optimistic for people. Yeah, I think, again, you know, and it, and it sort of speaks to what we were talking about with his quote about potentially moving Hap. And we're, you know, we're guilty of this as well, uh, just based on reading the tea leaves and, and reading between the lines and stuff like that of, of what's been said by various members of this organization and, you know, just seeing the reports and things like that. But I, I think there is there is obviously sort of just an assumption that things are going to be really bad with how this offseason goes in terms of cutting the payroll and getting rid of players and things like that. And while that may end up being the case, we haven't seen that yet, you know, and we we can get into it in a little bit, but even the non-tendering of Kyle Schwarber based on what some of these other outfielders are getting in free agency doesn't seem to necessarily be that either. So again, perhaps that's what happens, right? But it's it's also possible that this offseason plays out in that they don't necessarily aggressively fix this roster and, and the payroll is perhaps still a good bit lower than we'd like it to be or than it should be, but that it isn't some catastrophic gutting of the payroll and just sort of getting, you know, turning the roster into a dumpster, right? Like, I think there's obviously some middle ground there that I think a lot of us have treated as perhaps not a certainty, but as something we just sort of assume is not going to happen. So some of these quotes, maybe you can read into as as suggesting things might be a little more interesting than we were uh, assuming they would be. But you know, again, they could also just be lip service and and quotes to sort of bide time and and see how things play out. But kind of along those lines, I, I, I there was another uh, appearance by Jed that I think was on NBC Chicago, and he was talking about Chris Bryant, and I I thought this this was an interesting answer as well. Just talking about the Chris Bryant trade rumors, and Jed basically said to paraphrase that the a trade of him has been treated as a certainty um and you know then he went on to praise chris as a player and talk about how uh, 2020 obviously wasn't how he wanted it to play out but he had injuries and a lot of players struggled things like that and how he expected him to be mvp level you know top performing chris bryant in 2021 but what i think really the takeaway from his discussion on that on on chris bryant in particular was sort of just to reiterate that they likely are fielding calls on anybody. They might be making calls on a lot of these players just to see what's out there, see what teams are willing to entertain and things like that to make changes as as they've talked about and as a lot of us have have wanted over the years in a, in a broader sense. But I, I think his his overall point was just one that like, you know, we do not have to trade Chris Bryant, right? Like the the implication was that like there is not a a mandate on Jed that under no circumstances can Chris Bryant and his salary be on the roster in 2020. That that or 2021. That is not the reality. The reality is that they're, you know, maybe looking to make changes. They don't know what to make of his extension or his pending free agency in terms of his future, and they might make a move w- with regard to that if they can find one. But I, I, I just bring all this up because I, I do think that a lot of times it, it and it did, I think, last offseason as well, get treated as though there there was some existing mandate to the front office from ownership this guy cannot be on the roster, right? And and that's not really what the case is, right? It's it's perhaps something they're exploring, and if if the right thing comes along, even if it maybe isn't what they wanted it, to, you know, the the ultimate return package you would have wanted it to be in an ideal world, then they they might still do that, and that might be their preferred salary or uh, preferred 
strategy just for how they're going about things. But it was just a, a good reminder that while that may be a route they're exploring and it might be something that they do and it's been something that's been talked about for a long time now, like they can just keep him and have him on the team and have him start on opening day as a Chicago Cub at third base or maybe in left field if that's what they want or something along those lines. And so it was just sort of good to hear Jed kind of like pump the brakes on on the trade talks and be like, you know, kind of like, yeah, this is possible and this might be something we explore, but it's it's not like an ultimatum, you know, like we have to do this or something happens, right? Like they can just keep him. That's also an option. Chris Bryant being traded is not going to fix them. Like we've crossed that threshold where a trade like that is as impactful for the future. It's just not going to be there right now. And it is good that Judd is saying stuff like that. I was listening to Sahadev talk about the difference between Jed and Theo in terms of their media uh, portrayals and how they answer questions. And Sahadev did say that Jed is way more dialed back and he doesn't give as much material as Theo does. Um, and so, uh, there are a few instances even during Jed's, uh, I believe his opening presser, where he just flat out said no comment, right? So not only could Chris Bryant stay with the Cubs, but we we may have no idea what truly is going on with any type of trade talk. It could be decided now that the likelihood that Chris Bryant even dealt is, you know, 10%, right? We just, we have, we have no idea. I think given the market right now, seeing players like Hunter Renfro go for only 3 million, seeing some other guys get less money than you expected, even Adam Eaton, albeit his recent injuries are an issue. It's hard to imagine that teams are going to be willing to give up heavy prospects or current high value controllable talent for $20 million of Chris Bryant for one year. I, I don't see that happening, right? And so if you're going to go out and spend $5 million on two or three pitchers and you're doing the math and trying to see the cost benefit, probably makes the most sense as the current roster is construction, uh, as constructed, as well as the current minor league system as constructed, maybe just to keep Chris Bryant for the year and see how it plays out and reconsider a trade at the deadline or maybe let him walk in the offseason and get that qualifying offer. Maybe that is the best path forward. We, we don't know that, but I think given how the entire organization is constructed and given the little bit of evidence in this current free agent market, I do not see the Cubs substantially improving their outlook by trading Chris Bryant. I, I, I don't see how that can fit as it is right now, but the offseason is still young and maybe moves and other signings will come to fruition. That does change that opinion. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to bring that one up. I just thought it was a, a good reminder that, you know, some of this stuff is not the absolute certainty that it is treated uh, on on Cubs Twitter and, and some of the media. But moving on from that, uh, wanted to just touch a little bit on some of the free agent market and, and just kind of how it relates to Kyle Schwarber, just sort of looking back in hindsight, I guess, at the the Cubs decision to non-tender him and avoid the you know eight or nine million dollars whatever it's going to be uh to bring him back um and I I think the there there's been a a few things that have happened in this particular offseason um so far that that a little inform that decision perhaps uh one of them happened today on Monday which is Hunter Renfro going to the Red Sox on a one-year deal for $3.1 million per year. And then David Dahl signing, uh, I believe, last week. And I I think that, you know, you can get into comparing these players and and where they are in their careers and stuff like that. But Dahl was also around a one-year deal for $3 million. He's, you know, also 26. Uh, He went to the Rangers. And again, like the these three players are not exactly the same. They've had to have different, you know, strengths and weaknesses, injuries, things like that. 
but I, I I do think it's it's interesting to just look at a couple of these options signing one year deals for three million dollars, and it's 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 just something to look at perhaps uh, a in relation to Schwarber in particular, and the Cubs' decision not to tender him, especially because as we've discussed a lot, he he likely represents one of the easier spots to bring about just a profile change in the lineup. And looking at some of the other options that are still available with those couple guys off the board, you know, talking about guys like Eddie Rosario, Robbie Grossman, uh, Josh Reddick, Kike Hernandez, if you wanted to play him in the outfield. It's it's interesting to see these guys signing short deals for pretty cheap um, and, and just kind of trying to contextualize all of that with a market that A, the Cubs already made a decision on with with someone that they non-tendered in this particular group, but also in a market that, again, as we go back to that Jed Hoyer quote about outfielders from earlier, they're likely to be playing in. So it, 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 it sort of gives us a little bit of context on their decision with Schwarber, and it also gives us a little bit of context in what we might be looking at as it relates to some of these outfielders that are still available on this market on the cheaper side. Yeah, and don't leave it as a certainty that Schwarber may not even be back, right? I I think it's more of a likelihood that he isn't back, but I do see a slim possibility that the market for Schwarber may not be that great where, you know what, maybe he's due four or five million, um, as a market value, and the Cubs end up bringing him back. So I do think that is a possibility. And just seeing like Hunter Renfro go for three million and Adam Eaton go for, I believe it was six to eight million, uh, it signals that this is a weird environment. This is a weird market that maybe teams are not willing to pay the same amount for a little bit of uncertainty as they used to in years past. So it's going to be a wait and see game. It's still such a young developing market that I don't I, I don't have a grasp on it yet. Um, but as we see more and more guys go, it just speaks to the volatility that we have right now. But it also could be something that the Cubs can take advantage of if they can spend more money. If their budget is around 180 million, that leaves them like 20 million to spend right now, and you can find guys you can mix platoons in to to make it work and maybe part of that solution is bringing Schwarber back counterintuitively yeah so we'll we'll see how this this all plays out and there there's a good bit of names on on this list depending on what your exact interest is in them and you know some of them you as you mentioned you would not be necessarily envisioning as everyday starters they would be more platoon guys in particular matchups and stuff like that but just sort of early as we kind of and again you you never know how much of this is is true or exactly how things will play out but we we heard i think it was Sandy Alderson from the Mets talking about their decision to sign former White Sox catcher James McCann to a four-year deal uh, late last week. And and kind of, uh, I, I know, you know, a lot of people, especially Met fans, had wanted them to look at JT Realmuto. And part of what Alderson said today was that they didn't expect Realmuto and his camp to make a decision perhaps until January or February, and they needed to get on with their plans, which is in you know that's a whole separate discussion as to whether that makes sense or not but um it it it's interesting to see a couple of these outfielders sign for the deals they did with the teams they did just to kind of give us an early return on what this market might look like in a overall market that might take a while to really play out so that that's why again like not to specifically compare David Dahl Hunter Renfro and Kyle Schwarber together. They're they're different players, right? In different contexts, different ages, coming from different teams, etc. Right? But it's it's just an early return on a market that the Cubs are likely to be playing in, and it's what we have right now. So you know some of the the bigger decisions and bigger um, you know market movers might not come for a while, but this is this is what we have to go on at least for right now, as as it relates to the Cubs. So 
that'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, I expect the Cubs to be in play for some of these guys, and and we'll see ultimately uh, if they are and and which of them they like. And and we we haven't really, you know, one thing I would point out too is that a lot of Cubs Twitter, uh, especially, is very quick to look at someone like Dahl signing or Renfro signing and and the price and go, oh, you know, $3 million, Cubs, too cheap for the Cubs, you know, or too expensive for the Cubs. They can't even, they were not, they were not actually connected to either of these guys, right? And what I mean by that is we don't have any evidence that the Cubs wanted these two players. Maybe they did, right? And maybe it is that they can't afford $3 million. But I, again, like, I, I, we have made very clear what we feel about the ownership and the payroll and all of that. I'm not going to keep repeating it, but there are times where like, we don't, we don't even know if they wanted these guys. So like, let's just relax. If we got a report that the Cubs, that Jed Hoyer desperately wanted David Dahl and they just couldn't swing it, then yeah, like let's get angry and we can do it. You know, we can all be very mad together. I'll be right there with you. But for some of this, it's like we they weren't even connected to these guys other than potentially being a good fit for each other. So like just, I think we all got to relax. That's my main point. There will be, a, if there is a time to be angry and, and, you know, we'll be right there with you. But like the off season's barely underway. Let's just see how everything plays out first. So the last thing I want to look at, um, just something to to peruse over and, and, you know, perhaps we can have uh, Greg back from the Growing Cubs podcast to discuss some of this stuff. But I just thought this was worth mentioning, especially in a slow week in the off season. But Baseball America, giving their Cubs top 10 prospect list. I just thought we could read through that and, you know, I don't know, just offer up some some brief thoughts. Uh, so one yeah. through 10, number one is Braylon Marquez, who you all should be familiar with as he made his debut uh, briefly with the Cubs at the end of the 2020 season. Uh, Brennan Davis, number two, outfielder. We have had him on the podcast. He is a friend of the podcast, and as I have said many times, a name that you will want to remember. Uh, Number three is catcher Miguel Amaya, who hit his first home run in the uh, Puerto Rican Winter League on Sunday, and he offered quite the pimp job. Uh, So that was very exciting. Not, Not only that he hit a home run, but I, you know, we're we're obviously very supportive of bat flips and pimp jobs and whatever you want to do on the Cubs related podcast. So good to see that Miguel Amaya is is following in Wilson Contreras's footsteps and being a Chicago Cubs catcher that is uh, rather emphatic when he hits a home run. We love that. Number four, Ed Howard, the Cubs' most recent first round selection, shortstop. Number five, still Adbear Alzali. Again, sometimes these prospect classifications get a little weird. I know perhaps, I I think more than anyone on this list at least, it's a little weird to still refer to him as a prospect given the time he spent, but he goes up and down so much and it's just the threshold that he's at. I think there was that one year, Brendan, where Almora was still a uh, prospect like coming into the year, even though he had spent the majority of the end of the prior season like as a Cub and it was just really weird to see him listed as as a prospect, but what whatever. I don't make the rules. Mm. Number six is Cole Franklin. Number seven, Ryan Jensen. Those both right-handed pitchers. Number eight, Christopher Morell, infielder. Number nine, Chase Strumpf, infielder. And number 10, right-handed pitcher, Riley Thompson. So we're, we we don't always delve too much into the minor league side of things, uh, as there's often plenty to talk about at the major league level. But just wanted to to run through those, and I, I mean, you know, Brendan, I I think just speaking generally, it's it's a a fairly exciting list. You know, is is it the best top ten in in any system? No, but a lot of these guys, I, I think, are are rather exciting and and just to see some of these names I mean Cole Franklin even is someone who uh is he does a lot of Instagram content with Brendan Davis they're pretty close with one another and Cole is usually really good about providing videos of the bullpens that he's doing and stuff like that he's got some nasty stuff man um And of course, Ed Howard, you know, very exciting. He was over the weekend, uh, I believe, at Wrigley Field with the Players Alliance. They're they're doing some philanthropic stuff. Mm -hmm. He was with uh, Jason Hayward and Nico Horner doing some stuff for charity, handing some stuff out to the community. Uh, And so that was good to see. I mean, obviously, you know, Ed Howard on the field is very exciting. 
but to see him, you know, already kind of interacting with some of the big league guys, getting involved in the community, uh, obviously he's from Chicago, uh, was just good to see, especially for such a young guy. And, you know, of course, Braylon at the top. I mean, it's tough not to be excited about Braylon. And, you know, even though that uh, inning that he worked in the 2020 season obviously didn't go the, the way that he wanted, it was still very exciting to see him on a major league mound, see him pumping gas, and see him in that real Cubs uniform. So just wanted to to run through these names. I don't know if you have any favorites on this list. I'm sure you do. Uh, but it's there. there's, I, I think, uh, some excitement in, in, in the Cubs system here. Yeah. I mean, when you have 10 guys who you can already pinpoint and see how they could be valuable. That that that's a big deal. I don't have any particular like shockers or favorites. I mean, I do have favorites, but um, of all of them, I think offensively, the hitter I'm most excited about. That's not Brennan Davis. He's uh, the obvious one. But other than Brennan Davis, um, Cole Roterer, man, like. I, I love that guy. That guy has a beautiful swing. He's such an athlete. So much explosiveness in that swing and um, speed-wise. He, he's just a good player, I feel like. And he has kind of that Andrew Benintendi-type vibe to him. Uh, it, it's gonna yeah, be There's f- no way you pronounce that right. What is it? I think it's Benintendi. What did I say? I don't know, but not that. Benintendi. 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 We got to make that a, I think, a Benintendi. recurring segment of, of <laughs> you and I just mispronouncing names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep that in there. Whatever. It'll be fun. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's all, all to say is like this, this list is going to change too in six months. That's the best of fun thing about this. And just deeper down that list, you mentioned it, but um, you have like Ryan Jensen and Cole Franklin, right? Two recent draft picks, hard-throwing righties. Cole Franklin's always on social media. You can see his work, him working out and everything. Then you have Chase Strumpf, who I'm pretty optimistic about. That guy has phenomenal um, contact skills. He's someone I think can just fly through the, uh, the system in 2021. So there's names to be excited about, and this list is going to evolve. And I think by the time we talk about this same list, you know, by June or July, it's going to look different again, which is just speaking volume to way to the way that this system is developing. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, not that I'm uh, the the prospect expert on this show uh, or anything even close to that, but you know, you mentioned Roterer, who's a name we've heard for a, a little while now, who's not on this top ten list. But then you look even at last year's draft, in addition to Ed Howard. Burl Caraway is not on this list, but is obviously someone who's rather exciting uh, and got some work in at that South Bend site. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Michigan man, Jordan Wogu, uh, who was also a pick in the 2020 draft, who is someone who's got some, you know, big power in that bat, a very athletic guy. And so, yeah, um, look, we've, we've all lived through periods where the Cubs system had very few names you could like legitimately and unironically be excited about. And I, I think there's some some real guys in this group and, and at least some guys who, as we hopefully get, you know, a, a more normal minor league system, obviously, than 2020, in 2021, th- there's a, a really solid number of guys who you can pay attention to, check in on on a daily or weekly basis, and just sort of like track that progress because they, they have that potential to really contribute to this organization and, and, and be a part of the future plans. Even if, you know, I think even just looking at this list, like, you know, Alzali might be the only person who plays an impact in 2021, maybe Marquez. I mean, you can, when you kind of hear some of the front office executives and people who know about the Cubs talk about it, it, you know, they say kind of the same thing as all, you know, maybe at the end of the year or that type of thing, depending on how the early portion of the season goes. But still, I think some, some really, really solid names and, and some stuff to be excited about. So I think in a, like I said, in a week where not much is going on at the major league level, interesting to just run through Baseball America's list and see where we are. But I think that's probably about what we have for you. So, I, you know, I think similar to some of the off seasons of the past, it, it's going to be about patience a little bit, especially as we head into uh, the Christmas holiday next week and New Year's and stuff like that. Usually those are slower times just with everybody, you know, trying to be with their families and stuff like that. Um but we've gotten a little bit 
kind of have a little bit of an idea of how this market's going to go and and how things are going to shake out here. Um, But still a lot of questions to be answered uh, by the Cubs, by Jed Hoyer and his front office, and we'll have to see ultimately how how all of this shakes out. But yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really kidding at the beginning of the podcast. It was nice to just have a week off from any news. Uh, I would have taken good news, but but even still, it was just nice to like just have <laughs> nothing happening, like way too many significant things already in in this off season um and and just significant farewells and 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 changes that a week off is nice and we can you know i guess get back to it whenever jet is ready but yeah i think that's uh about it it's 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 pretty much playing the waiting game at this point seeing how this free agent market continues to shake out seeing if the cubs continue to make calls or receive calls on on some of the guys that they might be shopping or or looking to trade or open to trading and then you know seeing how jed hoyer and his front office piece it together so as all of that happens as as is usual if something happens in the middle of the week or or you know on a on a drop of a dime we'll get back on here we'll break it down if it is a significant news otherwise we'll talk to you guys next week and we'll continue to track everything and and see where everything is going as the cubs and jed hoyer look to build a team for the future but first 2021 so as always we thank you guys for listening to the cubs related podcast we appreciate you guys interacting on social media etc. We appreciate everybody who goes to the Apple Podcast Store and leaves us a five-star review. That is most appreciated. It helps us a little bit. And we will talk to you guys next week. So as always, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.